Chapter Twenty of Tarzan of the Apes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter Twenty. Heredity. When Jane realized that she was being borne away a captive by the strange forest creature who had rescued her from the clutches of the ape, she struggled desperately to escape, but the strong arms that held her as easily as though she had been but a day-old babe only pressed a little more tightly. So presently she gave up the futile effort and lay quietly, looking through half-closed lids at the faces of the man who strode easily through the tangled undergrowth with her. The face above her was one of extraordinary beauty. A perfect type of the strongly masculine, unmarred by dissipation or brutal or degrading passions. For, though Tarzan of the Apes was a killer of men and of beasts, he killed as the hunter kills, dispassionately, except on those rare occasions when he had killed for hate, though not the brooding, malevolent hate which marks the features of its own with hideous lines. When Tarzan killed, he more often smiled than scowled, and smiles are the foundation of beauty. One thing the girl had noticed particularly when she had seen Tarzan rushing upon Turcos, the vivid scarlet band upon his forehead, from above the left eye to the scalp, but now as she scanned his features she noticed that it was gone, and only a thin white line marked the spot where it had been. As she lay more quietly in his arms, Tarzan slightly relaxed his grip upon her. Once he looked down into her eyes and smiled, and the girl had to close her own to shut out the vision of that handsome, winning face. Presently Tarzan took to the trees, and Jane, wondering that she felt no fear, began to realize that in many respects she had never felt more secure in her whole life than now, as she lay in the arms of this strong, wild creature, being born God alone knew where or to what fate, deeper and deeper into the savage fastness of the untamed forest. When, with closed eyes, she commenced to speculate upon the future, and terrifying fears were conjured by a vivid imagination, she had but to raise her lids and look upon that noble face so close to hers, to dissipate the last remnant of apprehension. No, he could never harm her. Of that she was convinced when she translated the fine features, and the frank, brave eyes above her, into the chivalry which they proclaimed. On and on they went through what seemed to Jane a solid mass of verdure. Yet ever there appeared to open before this forest god a passage, as by magic, which closed behind them as they passed, scarce a branch scraped against her, yet above and below, before and behind. The view presented naught but a solid mass of inextricably interwoven branches and creepers. As Tarzan moved steadily onward, his mind was occupied with many strange and new thoughts. Here was a problem the like of which he had never encountered, and he felt rather than reasoned that he must meet it as a man and not as an ape. The free movement through the middle terrace, which was the route he had followed for the most part, had helped to cool the ardour of the first fierce passion of his new-found love. 
Now he discovered himself speculating upon the fate which would have fallen to the girl had he not rescued her from Turcos. He knew why the ape had not killed her, and he commenced to compare his intentions with those of Turcos. True, it was the order of the jungle for the male to take his mate by force, but could Tarzan be guided by the laws of the beasts? Was not Tarzan a man? What did men do? He was puzzled, for he did not know. He wished that he might ask the girl, and then it came to him that she had already answered him in the futile struggle she had made to escape and to repulse him. But now they had come to their destination, and Tarzan of the Apes, with Jane in his strong arms, swung lightly to the turf of the arena where the great apes held their councils, and danced the wild orgy of the dum-dum. Though they had come many miles, it was still but mid-afternoon, and the amphitheatre was bathed in the half-light which filtered through the maze of encircling foliage. The green turf looked soft and cool and inviting. The myriad noises of the jungle seemed far distant and hushed to a mere echo of blurred sounds, rising and falling like the surf upon a remote shore. A feeling of dreamy peacefulness stole over Jane as she sank down upon the grass where Tarzan had placed her, and as she looked up at his great figure towering above her, there was added a strange sense of perfect security. As she watched him from beneath half-closed lids, Tarzan crossed the little circular clearing toward the trees upon the farther side. She noted the graceful majesty of his carriage the perfect symmetry of his magnificent figure, and the poise of his well-shaped head upon his broad shoulders. What a perfect creature! There could be naught of cruelty or baseness beneath that godlike exterior. Never, she thought, had such a man strode the earth since God created the first in his own image. With a bound Tarzan sprang into the trees and disappeared. Jane wondered where he had gone. Had he left her there to her fate in the lonely jungle? She glanced nervously about. Every vine and bush seemed but the lurking place of some huge and horrible beast waiting to bury gleaming fangs into her soft flesh. Every sound she magnified into the stealthy creeping of a sinuous and malignant body. How different now that he had left her! For a few minutes that seemed hours to the frightened girl. She sat with tense nerves, waiting for the spring of the crouching thing that was to end her misery of apprehension. She almost prayed for the cruel teeth that would give her unconsciousness and surcease from the agony of fear. She heard a sudden, slight sound behind her. With a cry she sprang to her feet and turned to face her end. There stood Tarzan, his arms filled with ripe and luscious fruit. Jane reeled and would have fallen had not Tarzan, dropping his burden, caught her in his arms. She did not lose consciousness, but she clung tightly to him, shuddering and trembling like a frightened deer. Tarzan of the apes stroked her soft hair and tried to comfort and quiet her, as Kayla had him when, as a little ape, he had been frightened by Sabor the lioness, or Hista the snake. Once he pressed his lips lightly upon her forehead, and she did not move but closed her eyes and sighed. She could not analyze her feelings, nor did she wish to attempt it. She was satisfied to feel the safety of those strong arms, and to leave her future to fate. 
for the last few hours had taught her to trust this strange wild creature of the forest, as she would have trusted but few of the men of her acquaintance. As she thought of the strangeness of it, there commenced to dawn upon her the realization that she had, possibly, learned something else which she had never really known before. Love. She wondered, and then she smiled. And still smiling she pushed Tarzan gently away, and looking at him with a half-smiling, half-quizzical expression that made her face wholly entrancing, she pointed to the fruit upon the ground and seated herself upon the edge of the earthen drum of the anthropoids, for hunger was asserting itself. Tarzan quickly gathered up the fruit, and bringing it, laid it at her feet, and then he too sat upon the drum beside her, and with his knife opened and prepared the various fruits for her meal. Together and in silence they ate, occasionally stealing sly glances at one another, until finally Jane broke into a merry laugh in which Tarzan joined. "'I wish you spoke English,' said the girl. Tarzan shook his head, and an expression of wistful and pathetic longing sobered his laughing eyes. Then Jane tried speaking to him in French, and then in German, but she had to laugh at her own blundering attempt at the latter tongue. "'Anyway,' she said to him in English, you understand my German as well as they did in Berlin." <laughs> Tarzan had long since reached a decision as to what his future procedure should be. He had had time to recollect all that he had read of the ways of men and women in the books at the cabin. He would act as he imagined the men in the books would have acted were they in his place. Again he rose and went into the trees, but first he tried to explain by means of signs that he would return shortly he did so well that Jane understood, and was not afraid when he had gone. Only a feeling of loneliness came over her, and she watched the point where he had disappeared, with longing eyes, awaiting his return. As before, she was appraised of his presence by a soft sound behind her, and turned to see him coming across the turf with a great armful of branches. Then he went back again into the jungle, and in a few minutes reappeared with a quantity of soft grasses and ferns. Two more trips he made until he had quite a pile of material at hand. Then he spread the ferns and grasses upon the ground in a soft, flat bed, and above it leaned many branches together so that they met a few feet over its center. Upon these he spread layers of huge leaves of the great elephant's ear, and with more branches and more leaves he closed one end of the little shelter he had built. Then they sat down together again upon the edge of the drum, and tried to talk by signs. The magnificent diamond locket which hung about Tarzan's neck had been a source of much wonderment to Jane. She pointed to it now, and Tarzan removed it and handed the pretty bauble to her. She saw that it was the work of a skilled artisan, and that the diamonds were of great brilliancy and superbly set but the cutting of them denoted that they were of a former day. She noticed, too, that the locket opened, and, pressing the hidden clasp, she saw the two halves spring apart to reveal in either section an ivory miniature. One was of a beautiful woman, and the other might have been a likeness of the man who sat beside her, except for a subtle difference of expression that was scarcely definable. She looked up at Tarzan to find him leaning toward her, gazing on the miniatures, with an expression of astonishment, 
he reached out his hand for the locket, and took it away from her, examining the likenesses within it with unmistakable signs of surprise and new interest. His manner clearly denoted that he had never before seen them, nor imagined that the locket opened. This fact caused Jane to indulge in further speculation, and it taxed her imagination to picture how this beautiful ornament came into the possession of a wild and savage creature of the unexplored jungles of Africa. Still more wonderful was how it contained the likeness of one who might be a brother, or, more likely, the father of this woodland demigod who was even ignorant of the fact that the locket opened. Tarzan was still gazing with fixity at the two faces. Presently he removed the quiver from his shoulder, and emptying the arrows upon the ground, reached into the bottom of the bag-like receptacle, and drew forth a flat object, wrapped in many soft leaves, and tied with bits of long grass. Carefully he unwrapped it, removing layer after layer of leaves, until at length he held a photograph in his hand. Pointing to the miniature of the man within the locket, he handed the photograph to Jane, holding the open locket beside it. The photograph only served to puzzle the girl still more, for it was evidently another likeness of the same man, whose picture rested in the locket beside that of the beautiful young woman. Tarzan was looking at her with an expression of puzzled bewilderment in his eyes as she glanced up at him. He seemed to be framing a question with his lips. The girl pointed to the photograph, and then to the miniature, and then to him, as though to indicate that she thought the likenesses were of him. But he only shook his head, and then, shrugging his great shoulders, he took the photograph from her, and having carefully rewrapped it, placed it again in the bottom of his quiver. For a few moments he sat in silence, his eyes bent upon the ground, while Jane held the little locket in her hand, turning it over and over in an endeavour to find some further clue that might lead to the identity of its original owner. At length a simple explanation occurred to her. The locket had belonged to Lord Greystoke, and the likenesses were of himself and Lady Alice. This wild creature had simply found it in the cabin by the beach. How stupid of her not to have thought of that solution before! But to account for the strange likeness between Lord Greystoke and this forest god, that was quite beyond her, and it is not strange that she could not imagine that this naked savage was indeed an English nobleman. At length Tarzan looked up to watch the girl as she examined the locket. He could not fathom the meaning of the faces within, but he could read the interest and fascination upon the face of the live young creature by his side. She noticed that he was watching her, and thinking that he wished his ornament again, she held it out to him. He took it from her, and, taking the chain in his two hands, he placed it about her neck, smiling at her expression of surprise at this unexpected gift. Jane shook her head vehemently, and would have removed the golden links from about her throat, but Tarzan would not let her. Taking her hands in his, when she insisted upon it, he held them tightly to prevent her. At last she desisted, and with a little laugh raised the locket to her lips. Tarzan did not know precisely what she meant, but he guessed correctly that it was her way of acknowledging the gift, and so he rose, and taking the locket in his hand, stooped gravely like some courtier of old, 
and pressed his lips upon it where hers had rested. It was a stately and gallant little compliment, performed with a grace and dignity of utter unconsciousness of self. It was the hallmark of his aristocratic birth, the natural outcropping of many generations of fine breeding, an hereditary instinct of graciousness which a lifetime of uncouth and savage training and environment could not eradicate. It was growing dark now, and so they ate again of the fruit which was both food and drink for them. Then Tarzan rose, and leading Jane to the little bower he had erected, motioned her to go within. For the first time in hours a feeling of fear swept over her, and Tarzan felt her draw away as though shrinking from him. Contact with this girl for half a day had left a very different Tarzan from the one on whom the morning sun had risen. Now, in every fibre of his being, heredity spoke louder than training. He had not in one swift transition become a polished gentleman from a savage ape-man, but at last the instincts of the former predominated, and over all was the desire to please the woman he loved, and to appear well in her eyes. So Tarzan of the apes did the only thing he knew to assure Jane of her safety. He removed his hunting-knife from its sheath, and handed it to her hilt first, again motioning her into the bower. The girl understood, and taking the long knife she entered, and lay down upon the soft grasses, while Tarzan of the apes stretched himself upon the ground across the entrance. And thus the rising sun found them in the morning. When Jane awoke, she did not at first recall the strange events of the preceding day, and so she wondered at her odd surroundings, the little leafy bower, the soft grasses of her bed, the unfamiliar prospect from the opening at her feet. Slowly the circumstances of her position crept one by one into her mind, and then a great wonderment arose in her heart, a mighty wave of thankfulness and gratitude that though she had been in such terrible danger, yet she was unharmed. She moved to the entrance of the shelter to look for Tarzan. He was gone, but this time no fear assailed her, for she knew that he would return. In the grass at the entrance to her bower she saw the imprint of his body, where he had lain all night to guard her. She knew that the fact that he had been there was all that had permitted her to sleep in such peaceful security. With him near, who could entertain fear? She wondered if there was another man on earth with whom a girl could feel so safe in the heart of this savage African jungle. Even the lions and panthers had no fears for her now. She looked up to see his lithe form drop softly from a nearby tree. As he caught her eyes upon him, his face lighted with that frank and radiant smile that had won her confidence the day before. As he approached her, Jane's heart beat faster, and her eyes brightened as they had never done before at the approach of any man. He had again been gathering fruit, and this he laid at the entrance of her bower. Once more they sat down together to eat. Jane commenced to wonder what his plans were. Would he take her back to the beach, or would he keep her here? Suddenly she realized that the matter did not seem to give her much concern. Could it be that she did not care? She began to comprehend, also, that she was entirely contented, sitting here by the side of this smiling giant, eating delicious fruit in a sylvan paradise, far within the remote depths of an African jungle, 
that she was contented and very happy. She could not understand it. Her reason told her that she should be torn by wild anxieties, weighted by dread fears, cast down by gloomy forebodings. But instead, her heart was singing, and she was smiling into the answering face of the man beside her. When they had finished their breakfast, Tarzan went to her bower and recovered his knife. The girl had entirely forgotten it. She realized that it was because she had forgotten the fear that prompted her to accept it. Motioning her to follow, Tarzan walked toward the trees at the edge of the arena, and taking her in one strong arm swung to the branches above. The girl knew that he was taking her back to her people, and she could not understand the sudden feeling of loneliness and sorrow which crept over her. For hours they swung slowly along. Tarzan of the apes did not hurry. He tried to draw out the sweet pleasure of that journey with those dear arms about his neck as long as possible, and so he went far south of the direct route to the beach. Several times they halted for brief rests, which Tarzan did not need, and at noon they stopped for an hour at a little brook where they quenched their thirst and ate. So it was nearly sunset when they came to the clearing and Tarzan, dropping to the ground beside a great tree, parted the tall jungle grass and pointed out the little cabin to her. She took him by the hand to lead him to it, that she might tell her father that this man had saved her from death, and worse than death, that he had watched over her as carefully as a mother might have done. But again the timidity of the wild thing in the face of human habitation swept over Tarzan of the apes. He drew back, shaking his head. The girl came closer to him, looking up with pleading eyes. Somehow she could not bear the thought of his going back into the terrible jungle alone. Still he shook his head, and finally he drew her to him very gently, and stooped to kiss her. But first he looked into her eyes, and waited to learn if she was pleased, or if she would repulse him. Just an instant the girl hesitated, and then she realized the truth and throwing her arms about his neck, she drew his face to hers and kissed him, unashamed. "'I love you, I love you,' she murmured. From far in the distance came the faint sound of many guns. Tarzan and Jane raised their heads. From the cabin came Mr. Philander and Esmeralda. From where Tarzan and the girl stood they could not see the two vessels lying at anchor in the harbour. Tarzan pointed towards the sounds, touched his breast, and pointed again. She understood. He was going, and something told her that it was because he thought her people were in danger. Again he kissed her. "'Come back to me,' she whispered. "'I shall wait for you. Always.' He was gone, and Jane turned to walk across the clearing to the cabin. Mr. Philander was the first to see her. It was dusk, and Mr. Philander was very near-sighted. "'Quickly, Esmeralda!' he cried. "'Let us seek safety within. It is a lioness. Bless me!' Esmeralda did not bother to verify Mr. Philander's vision. His tone was enough. She was within the cabin, and had slammed and bolted the door before he had finished pronouncing her name. The "'Bless me!' was startled out of Mr. Philander by the discovery that Esmeralda, in the exuberance of her haste, had fastened him upon the same side of the door as was the close-approaching lioness. He beat furiously upon the heavy portal. 
Esmeralda! Esmeralda! he shrieked. Let me in! I am being devoured by a lion! Esmeralda thought that the noise upon the door was made by the lioness in her attempts to pursue her, so, after her custom, she fainted. Mr. Philander cast a frightened glance behind him. Horrors! The thing was quite close now. He tried to scramble up the side of the cabin, and succeeded in catching a fleeting hold upon the thatched roof. For a moment he hung there, clawing with his feet like a cat on a clothesline. But presently a piece of the thatch came away, and Mr. Philander, preceding it, was precipitated upon his back. At the instant he fell a remarkable item of natural history leaped to his mind. If one feigns death, lions and lionesses are supposed to ignore one, according to Mr. Philander's faulty memory. So Mr. Philander lay as he had fallen, frozen into the horrid semblance of death. As his arms and legs had been extended stiffly upward as he came to earth upon his back, the attitude of death was anything but impressive. Jane had been watching his antics in mild-eyed surprise. Now she laughed, a little choking gurgle of a laugh, but it was enough. Mr. Philander rolled over upon his side and peered about. At length he discovered her. "'Jane!' he cried. "'Jane Porter! Bless me!' He scrambled to his feet and rushed toward her. He could not believe that it was she, and alive. "'Bless me! Where did you come from?' "'Where in the world have you been? How—' "'Mercy, Mr. Philander,' interrupted the girl. "'I can never remember so many questions.' "'Well, well,' said Mr. Philander. "'Bless me! I am so filled with surprise and exuberant delight at seeing you safe and well again, that I scarcely know what I am saying, really. But come, tell me all that has happened to you.' End of chapter.